Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. So apologetics, the first thing is perspectives. There's three perspectives on apologetics that I want to share with you. The first perspective is apologetic as proof. Again, just a reminder that apologetic is the discipline that teaches Christians how to give a reason for their hope, a reason and the basis for what they believe and why they believe it. And the first perspective that we're going to see is like the idea of proof in the sense that there is a rational basis, there is a logical basis that Christians actually can have and can present to ensure and to show that Christianity can be true. In fact, Jesus offered proof throughout his time with his disciples. In John chapter 14, and we're going to be in a lot of scripture this morning as well, and a lot of it's on the screen. But in John chapter 14, Jesus says this, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. There's this living union between the Father and the Son. And he says, the words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his works. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. You're like, I can believe that. Well, the Jews had a hard time believing that the God of the universe was actually living in this person, this Messiah figure, Jesus. And he says, believe it. Why? Well, at least look at the evidence. Look at the works I'm doing. Here's just some proof that the Father is actually in me, that we are united together in our life, our love, and our light, and our mission together, that the Father and the Son are united, because who else is walking on water? Who else is turning water into grape juice, wine? Who else is doing all these miracles? And so Jesus says, just look at the proof. Or at the end of the book of John, in John chapter 20, John records a story, unfortunately, for a man named Thomas about his doubts. Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came to him. I think this is on the next slide. I think I have John 20, uh, 24. Yes, I do. Okay, so there it is. But he said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, Unless I see the nail marks, sorry, this is Thomas saying to the disciples, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. How many of you like Peter? Okay. How many of you, just, let's just be honest. The f- Bruce, I love you. How many of your first thoughts today were like, you just missed that wrench? No one else had that thought? I'm like, Scott, you're an idiot. That's probably truly a miracle. And the rest of you are, I'm, I'm, I'm the only one who thought he just missed it. Okay, I'm the only doubting Thomas. I'm sorry, I really believe that happened. Like, but my first thought was like, yeah, he just missed it. Why? Because I want to touch it. I want to put my finger in the nail prints. And then I can believe. And so Jesus, man, can you imagine Jesus just being so patient? Being like, here you go. I would be like, here you go. Right? Like, I'm walking. What else do you need to see? 
it's not just Jesus, but Peter, uh, sorry, Paul also gives proof. So I'm just picking some examples. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, writing to the Corinthians, a pretty familiar passage. He says, I received what I passed on to you as of first importance, that the gospel, number one, I think on the next slide is this, the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And how do you know he died? He was buried. Because who do you bury? Dead people. And then the second part of the gospel is that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And what is the proof that he actually walked out of the grave? If the proof that he died was he buried, what's the proof that he walked out of the grave? Well, he appeared to who? Peter. Then the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What is Paul doing? He's basically saying, you don't believe that Jesus raised from the dead? Go find these people. They will verify to you, they will validate to you the proof that Jesus walked out of the grave. So one of the things we see in Scripture for defending the faith is just giving proof that Scripture is actually true. That's one perspective. A second perspective is not apologetics as proof, but it's apologetics as what I call reactive. Reactive apologetics. Some, some theologians or apologetic uh, individuals call this defensive apologetics. And they mean by that is answering the objections of unbelief. So they have like these categories of what makes Christianity hard to believe. And so what we do is we give a credible reason as to why these things actually are true, even though they might be hard to believe. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, says this, and it's on the screen, it is right for me to feel this way about you, that God is going to finish his work in them. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains... Or defending and confirming the gospel. There's lots of people in Paul's life and in the city of Philippi who did not believe the good news of Jesus. And Paul said, whether I'm in chains or whether I'm with you, I'm going to defend the gospel. And you go to Philippians chapter 2, and what is the gospel? It is the lordship of Jesus Christ, who is over all, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul was focused on defending the gospel. You read all the letters that Paul writes to his churches, and most of the time we do this, we call it mirror reading. What do we mean by that? We kind of read between the lines. He is answering things that are going on, false teachings that are going on in the church. Like in Colossae, there is this angelic heresy, these all kinds of different beliefs about angels and what they were doing. And Paul in Colossians chapter 2 comes and defends why that is not true. And don't give yourself to that heresy. Or in Galatia, they're talking about the Judaizers and people are saying, obedience to law will make you right with God. And Paul says, that is not the gospel. He is defending it. And he's giving reason to believe it. And so when we come into our culture, there's lots of reasons why people don't believe the good news of Jesus. And it takes good thinking, 
good missionaries, good people who are interacting with our culture and our people to know what those areas of unbelief are. Because you know what? They're not the same areas of unbelief that were happening in Colossae. I don't know. Maybe you do. I don't know of anyone who's worshiping angels at the moment. But I have a lot of people who don't believe in the authority of Scripture because of sexuality, because of absolute truth, because of all these other things that we need to actually be thinking through. How do we give an defense for our belief? There's a third perspective, and I call this as proactive apologetics. Proactive. What I mean by proactive, probably the easiest way to think of this is to uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this on the next screen. It says, we have weapons that we fight with, but they are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. The weapons we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If reactive apologetics is like dealing with all of the areas of unbelief, proactive is now going into the culture, going into our society, and making proactively, going on the offense. We don't always, as Christians, just have to play defense. We can actively go into the culture with a belief system, with an apologetic that is actually true. And Paul says we have authority to do that. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're actually wrestling against the principalities and the powers, and we have weapons through the Spirit of God to know the tactics of the evil one so that we can offensively go with the armor of God into our society, into our culture, into our neighborhoods. And why do I call these perspectives? I call them perspectives, and if you go back to the the triangular chart, I would appreciate that. Thank you, Krista. Because it's not that these are three different types of apologetics. They're all interrelated and interdependent upon one another. To give a full existence for the proof of God takes proof, it takes reactive, and it takes proactive. So, for instance... Any argument for the existence of God, which I'm not doing this morning, but any argument that takes account for the existence of God does not take into account, number one, the way unbelievers object to the existence of God, reactive, or to ways in which unbelievers satisfy themselves with alternative worldviews, doesn't actually go into and demolish their worldviews, could not, would not be as strong as it possibly could. So if we're going to be good apologists, if we're going to be good Christians who are able to give a defense of our faith, we need to have not just proof and not just answers to unbelief, but also being able to go in and destroy the strongholds, the worldviews, give alternate understandings to have a fully rounded apologetic Now, how many of you just like, holy crap, that sounds so fun, but I'll never be able to know all that? Okay? I'm with you. You know what the good news is? One, you don't have to know everything. (laughs) You know why? Because there's people in this church who know a lot more than you who will help you. You don't have to do this on your own. Does that make sense? Not everyone is going to be like the greatest world's apologetic, you know, if... Anyone wants to send me to the Tim Keller Center for Apologetics in New York to get a degree, I'll take it. 
I'll come back and I'll be our resident expert. But that isn't what I'm saying. And the second thing I want to say is just like with all of the Bible, like, it's like, take a deep breath. You have the rest of your life to keep learning, right? What's the next step you need to take in defending your faith? Take that next step. Don't get so overwhelmed that I'll never be able to do this. Well, none of us are ever going to be able to all do it. We need each other. And I think the Spirit is just asking you to take what is that next step in being able to have a fully rounded apologetic so that we know how to answer. We know how to give a hope for the reason that we have. And if you've kind of noticed in all of this uh, perspective, who is apologetics for? With all these perspectives on apologetics, who are they for? It's interesting, in the early church, in the first 400 years of church history from the Pentecost when Jesus sent the Spirit to, you know, fourth century, they did apologetics back then, by the way. And you know who apologetics was primarily for? It was for Christians. It was for people who had already given their life to Jesus and were following him. And they did apologetics in their sanctuaries, in their churches, and with their people to strengthen the faith of Christians. Today, apologetics is primarily for who in our culture? For people who don't believe. And so we need to give a defense for people who don't know it. And what I want to say is, I don't know where you are this morning, But apologetics is for everyone. You might be like, I'm already a Christian, I'm good, I can skip church for the next three months. And I want to be like, no, keep coming. One, because it's love for your brothers and sisters. But two, it will actually strengthen your faith that you know what you believe and why you believe it. But it's also for people who don't know. And so there is this reality to apologetics that has multi-perspectives that we need to grow in our understanding of all of it, but knowing that it's for us, too. I can remember in, in some dark days after my wife died, wondering, is Christianity really true? Right? Like, I'm not saying you're going to have dark days like me, like mine, but you're going to have dark days. Okay? And if you've never doubted Christianity... You're like Jesus and superhero. But I go through these times where I'm like, this can't be true. And you know what the Spirit of God continually comes back with me? Our apologetic issues. Continually comes back to me with like, Scott, if you don't believe this, what are you going to believe? If you don't believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that he's the only way to me, what are you going to believe? How are you going to get to me? And I'm not going to do this this morning because that would be a whole other sermon. But I walk through in my mind all of these apologetic things that are actually deep ingrained in me that if I actually run to somewhere else to be intellectually honest, I would have to like say that that's not... And I'm like, I can't do that. So just know that these apologetic realities are for everyone. They're for you. They're for me to strengthen our faith. So number one, their perspective. There's three of them, and it's for everybody. Number two, the presupposition. Why do I have to use a big word? Because I just wanted three Ps, okay? So presupposition is just things that we believe before we even read something. 
You ever wondered why you and your wife can watch the same movie and come up with very different understandings of that movie? It's because you saw the same movie, but you both were wearing different glasses. You're both looking at it from a different perspective. You had presuppositions about that movie. Okay, my kids um, just saw, there's a new Spider-Man movie out. Okay, they went to that movie all excited, and they thought it was the greatest thing ever. I promise you, when I never go see that movie, I'm going to hate it. Because I'm already going in with, like, oh, great, another comic book movie. This is going to be just so much different than all the other 58,000. <laughs> right? Because it's just a different perspective. It's just a different presupposition about something. And I want us to know that when it comes to defending whatever we believe... Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you have presuppositions. And I think 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 gives us a presupposition, and I've already hit on it, but it's right there in the beginning, that command, in your hearts, set apart the lordship of Christ. Peter's commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ is foundational to everything he is writing to that church and to their defense of the gospel. So your ultimate presupposition is just simply a basic heart commitment. It is a commitment that you have to something in which now you view all of your life through. And Paul, so Peter, because it's Peter, says our presupposition is that Christ is Lord, Caesar is not. We're going to put it this way. Christ is Lord. The Red Party, Republican Party, is not. Donald Trump is not Lord. Ronald DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, whatever his name is, is not Lord. Okay, the American institutional government is not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Science is not Lord. Rational, empirical, Thought is not Lord. Your intellectual capacities of humans that can do all kinds of amazing things. I mean, can you believe we have a stupid device that's about this big and you can FaceTime and look at someone across the world? That's unbelievable. We take it for granted. But the intellectual capacities of, of mankind over and over again to create a phone, to do the things we do, that's unbelievable. But you know what? We don't put our lordship and our foundational belief in the thought of mankind. And primarily is because not only is that amazing, but what do we use those phones for? Your experience is not lord. I'm sorry. You may have had a great experience. You may have had the best experiences ever. But that is not Lord. Jesus Christ and his lordship over all things is the primary presupposition for Christian apologetics. Why is this important, Scott? Well, here's why. Oftentimes, people will argue with me or talk with me or read, I'll read things, and people will say, when we talk to unbelievers, we should not use the Bible. We should come to them with a neutral standpoint. I don't know if you ever heard this, but when you're talking to a non-Christian, if you bring the Bible into it, they're just going to reject you right away. But if you don't use the Bible, then they might listen to you. And so there's this whole, and I'm, again, like, this is kind of splitting hairs here a little bit, but there's like this whole, like, belief system that we should just be, like, neutral with everybody. And why wouldn't I say that that's a good idea? 
Because number one, there's no such thing as neutrality. There's no such thing as neutrality. This is the biggest issue in our culture today, is that they look at the Christian faith and say, you guys are so bigoted, we just are so neutral, we are accepting of everybody. You know you're not accepting of me, so you're not. So it's like, the reality is, is we don't all have, no one possesses neutrality. And just be intellectually honest with yourself. Like, just take stock of the fact that you are not just some neutral person. And that when you are arguing with an unbeliever, arguing in the sense of, like, discussing, not like yelling, we're going to get to the posture in a few moments. Don't be Christian Twitter. But, like, the reality is, like, when we are talking with people about Jesus, we don't come neutral, and they don't come neutral. So if they're not coming neutral, and they're coming with all of their belief systems and all of their presuppositions, why would we as Christians just lay aside our lordship of Jesus Christ as our presupposition? There's no such thing as neutrality. And when it comes to unbelievers, they're not neutral in their commitment because not only do they have presuppositions, but again, Scripture tells us things like this on the screen. I have Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21 as an example of what I'm saying. But Paul says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people. And now notice this next phrase who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what might be made known about God is plain to them, because God made it plain to them. Because since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, namely God's power and God's divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so they are without excuse. I'm not going to... There's. 14, passage, 14 sermons on that little phrase. But basically what Paul is saying is this. God has made himself abundantly evident and clear to the world. And men in their wickedness, which is you and me apart from the Spirit of God, so don't get any superiority complex right now. Calm down. We're just like them except for God showed us grace. Paul is saying they have actually suppressed that truth. So it's like way, way, way deep down there, but they live as if it's not true. They're not neutral. They're actually rejecting. They're actually very antagonistic towards the Christian faith. So the Christian apologist, the Christian who's going to set apart Jesus Christ as Lord and is going to defend the reasons for what he believes, the hope that he has, I want to say don't lay aside the lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you are in discussions with people, I prayed this, but I think it's very important to understand this, and when I said it earlier, you are not fighting that other person. This is why 2 Corinthians is such a powerful passage. We are fighting at an invisible level. And we have the powers through the Spirit to demolish those strongholds. So our witness and our apologetic needs to keep the Lordship of Jesus Christ at the center. 
And we don't have to lay that aside and just come neutral to people who are not neutral. And so why is that important? I keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and here's the real point I want us to get across. What about circular arguments? I believe the Bible's true because the Bible says it's true. <laughs> How many of you think that's the dumbest sentence you ever heard? God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. I don't know, I grew up in a little tiny Baptist church, that was a little jingle, a little song that we all sang. You know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. There's people who tell us not to do that. Don't use, don't you like my little, I saw this, I just thought this was funny. Circular reasoning works because circular reasoning works, right? And so what do we do with just the circular, circularity of Christianity? Like, I mean, if you don't believe in Christianity, and I just read Romans 1.18 to you, and I just said everyone suppresses the truth, you're like, well, that's what the Bible says. I don't believe that. You can just get rid of it. I'm going to use that as my apologetic, and I'm going to say to you, like, in love and kindness, like, you are suppressing truth, and there's life, and there's joy found for you in stopping that suppression of truth. But what do we do with circular arguments when people just come to us and say, eh, you have a Bible that says it. What about that? What about the reality of, like, hmm, that doesn't make sense. In fact, I looked it up. Circular reasoning is called a fallacy. It's called a logical fallacy. I don't know if you know what logical fallacies are, like non sequitur and red herring and taking all of you back to 10th grade English and you have a headache and want to just go home right now. But like, they actually call these circular arguments one of those logical fallacies. So in and of itself, Christianity, when it's put into this circular reasoning, becomes, in their mind, a logical fallacy. Or we could make just this statement. Jesus' post-resurrection appearances are well attested. People saw Jesus after he got out of the grave. Therefore, we can conclude that the resurrection is true. Is this a circular argument? Well, before I answer that, let me ask you about this. What about the reason for an atheistic worldview that says God did not create the world? And why didn't God create the world? Anyone want to answer that? Why did they say that? Because there's what? There's no God. Okay, and there's no God, so he didn't create the world. And where are they going? In a circle. Why is that the case? Because every system of thought, every philosophical system, whether it be Christianity or atheism or rationalism or empiricism or any of these other isms that we believe in, must use its own standards to prove its own conclusions. Let me repeat that. Every philosophy, every system of thought must use its own standards to prove its own conclusions. So, for instance, those that believe, like, back in the 1700s, in the, in the Enlightenment part, like Rene Descartes, that says, I believe, therefore I am, I think, therefore I am, those who believe that human reason is the ultimate authority, 
must presuppose that the authority of reason in their arguments for rationalism. They have to actually go this whole circle that to show that everything can be proven through rational thought. You have to start with what? The belief that rational thought can actually show you everything. Or the ultimacy of sensory experience. Like, my experience is what I believe is true. You have to start with your experience to actually prove your experience. The point is that when one is arguing for an ultimate criteria, ultimate reason for believing something, you have to use that criteria for your proving. So if this is circularity, everyone uses circular thoughts. Which means your starting point, and I would, you know, if you got questions about this, I'm doing like a very high level view of things. There's probably 15 million questions underneath that, okay? I, I didn't want to bore 80% of you and 20% of you like, keep going for five more hours. I'm going to be quick. But the starting point for every system of thought is faith. The starting point for every system of thought is faith. Can, it, can an evolutionary scientist who believes in atheism, can they prove without a shadow of a doubt that the Big Bang actually happened? Can they prove that? No, so they start with a measure of what? Faith. People who believe that minds can actually, rationalism can actually define and defend everything and can actually explain everything and we'll just get there are starting with the fact that their mind can actually, man's mind, can actually answer everything. That's faith. Christianity believes with what foundational presupposition, church? Jesus Christ is Lord. So like, whether you want to reject Christianity or embrace Christianity, every system of thought starts with faith. Christianity is not just this wimpy belief system that we just believe a book because it makes us feel good. Christianity is grounded in intellectual realities that we're going to explore together over the next couple of months together, but it does come back to faith which is what every other system of thought is starting with. Which is why we don't lay aside the lordship of Jesus. We come with faith. We come with this understanding that, yes, I love you. We're going to get along. And this is what's so weird as Christians. We better love the people that don't agree with us. Like, love them. And befriend them. And invite them over to our house. Yes, invite a Democrat to your dinner party next time and get crazy. But the reality is that we need to love people regardless of their faith commitments. And we don't lay aside the Lordship of Jesus. We bring the Lordship of Jesus into every argument, everything we are, because we believe not because we're better, not because we're superior. It's because we believe that there's life for these people inside the lordship of Jesus. Which then leads to point number three, which is my shortest, the posture. The posture of apologetics. The last slide, um, oh yeah, I had this really cool slide for you that just showed circular reasoning. Um, you can take a picture of it, I'll, I'll email it to you. And I should say this, 
If you ever want my notes, just come, I'll email them to you. I can't promise they'll make sense to you, um, but you can, I'll send you my document. Um, Chris, could you go back to the First Peter 3, 15 and 16 um, passage? Paul, Peter, says this at the very last phrase. Do this how? I already ruined my joke, but I, I have a love-hate relationship with Twitter. I love it because it gives me an understanding what the Christian Twitter world is talking about. I like to know the issues that are going on, the things that people are talking about, the things that people are discussing and arguing. But I just get so angry. I'm such a Pharisee when I claim to you not to be, don't be a Pharisee. Like all these people are so angry and yelling at each other and I read Twitter and I, I don't, I, you know how many tweets I don't post? You'd be, you'd be ashamed to know how many tweets I actually type up and be like, Scott, don't do that. I did it again this week. I started typing something because I was just so mad at this stupid person. And I just said, all right, delete, delete, delete. But it's annoying to me to go on to Twitter and to see Christians, this is just the sphere I'm in, to be filled with arrogance, to be filled with stupidity, be filled with like, well, if you don't believe me, then you're stupid and have a good life. I mean, they say it in much more colorful words. But Paul is saying, Peter is saying, in the midst of all of your suffering, when people are coming and asking you, which, by the way, if you really live the Lordship of Jesus Christ as the dominating, reigning affection of your life, people are going to ask you why you're weird. And if people aren't asking you why you're weird, maybe you should reevaluate some things. But when they do ask you, do it with gentleness. That word is kindness. Do it kindly. And respect. Respecting that they don't believe what you believe yet. Respecting, you don't have to agree with their belief system, but respecting their belief system, not calling it retarded or stupid or silly or foolish or unwise or whatever word you want to use. Paul says, do it with gentleness. Peter, Peter, I'm going to kill myself. Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. May it never be said of me as a category of life that I'm arrogant and disrespectful to other people's opinions. May that be true of us, that as we go out with the truth, people got to know the truth. They do. But you can actually give truth in a loving, kind way that's respectful. And that will actually win them far more than your logical supremacy. Because most time people are not argued into the kingdom of God, they're loved into the kingdom of God. And they're loved into the kingdom of God as you present the realities of the lordship of Jesus Christ to them. So, Father, help us to be good missionaries who learn how to set the Lordship of Jesus Christ as primary in our hearts. 
so that people will ask us this week, why do you believe what you believe? God, that would be an amazing reality. May we have stories of grace next time in which someone came up and asked, why are you a Christian? And as we live our lives together in this culture that is very dark, very stormy, help us to be kind and respectful of who people are, where they're coming from. And even though we may disagree with them on the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we still love them. And so God, help us to grow in our ability this summer to not just be able to talk and defend why we believe what we believe, but to actually nurture and deeper in our commitment to the Lordship of Jesus over all things. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.